As a child, I grew up in a church in downtown Atlanta. And Palm Sunday was always one of my favorite Sundays because we would march around the church waving our palms, singing, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm sure it was a strange sight for people who saw us marching down Peachtree Street or people in the Marta Station or people in the skyscrapers or office buildings around. And yet I always loved it for its street theater, for the chance to sing and march and wave. Well, that first Palm Sunday so many years ago was also a form of street theater with that motley crew of fisher folks and villagers, of wandering passersby who came to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna, which really means save us. It was street theater in the sense that it was also a form of nonviolent resistance because it mimicked the way a king would have entered Jerusalem at that time. Back in ancient times, uh, a military leader or a king would have come into a city with great fanfare, with chariots and soldiers, with banners and weapons, and with people lined up at the awe and the power. But here is Jesus coming into Jerusalem, coming into the seat of power, not on a stallion, but on a donkey, not with an army of soldiers, but with a few disciples, not with banners of gold, but with people grabbing whatever they could, cloaks or grass or palms, and shouting out, Hosanna, save now, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was coming in as a king, but not a king as the world knew, not one who would come with military might and and overthrow the powers that be, not who would sit in a palace, but one who would usher in the kingdom of God, the realm of inclusion and justice and mercy. Jesus was coming into town to make it plain that that system of imperial domination and oppression was no longer working. Coming into town to make it clear to the religious leaders that that religious power that purported to be for the people still had somehow missed the mark. And he was coming in to show that God's realm, God's kingdom required a reorientation, a new way of living and being in the world. And so he entered Jerusalem under the guise of celebration. But it was a way to resist and to continue to challenge the powers that be. And so on the very next day, on Monday, Jesus entered the temple and began a week of challenging those religious leaders, starting with the money changers in the temple who were economically exploiting the people of God. Good morning. This is a reading from Mark 11, verses 15 through 19. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? 
but you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when he when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Overturning the tables of the money changers, Jesus continued to challenge the status quo. And those were the stories that we have read at Lake Oswego UCC the last several weeks of Lent. We heard Jesus challenging the Pharisees with a parable about uh, owning land and paying taxes to Caesar. We heard Jesus uh, challenged a scribe who asked him about the greatest commandment, encouraging that scribe to love, uh, love the widows, love the orphans, love those on the margins. Last week, we heard him tell the disciples that even the temple, the longstanding institution, would be changing. As Jesus continued to challenge the religious folks, that's you and me. Uh, not to be people who look out only for ourselves, but to be people who really live out that love and that justice for those on the margins. And we think particularly now of all the people suffering in the world, all the people who are on the margins because of coronavirus, because of losing jobs, because of being sick, because of being vulnerable. That's who Jesus calls us to care for. That to follow Jesus is to follow a new way of being in the world, a way of generosity, a way of love, a way of justice. This is what Jesus was about his whole ministry and what he continues to be about through the very last days of his life. Even while he would spend the day teaching in the temple, challenging the religious authorities, every night he would leave and he would spend time with his friends who consistently were those on the margins. And so that's how we find him, at the home of Simon the leper, as he encounters a woman who teaches all of the people about following in the faith and the generosity of Jesus. A reading from Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than three hundred denarii, and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them wherever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. God's word for God's people. This is Mark chapter 14, verses 10 through 20. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of the unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house. The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, and wherever I may eat Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, 
furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, the one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and said to him one after another, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. Shared meals were always so important to Jesus. It was one of the ways that he practiced inclusion, eating with sinners and tax collectors. It was one of the ways that he practiced justice, such as the loaves and the fishes, making sure that everyone had enough to eat. And it was one of the ways that he would often use to teach and to pray with his disciples. And so it makes sense in many ways that on the last night with his friends that he would want to share a meal with them. It also speaks to Jesus' character that up until the very end, he practiced inclusion. Eating even with Judas, who would betray him, even with Peter and all the others, who would desert him in only a matter of hours. That last night together, they gathered for a Passover meal. Passover, which was and is that great celebration in Jewish faith of deliverance, of God's deliverance uh, out of death and out of slavery in Egypt. And so Jesus uses this Passover meal to both point back to that initial meal of deliverance and also point forward to the deliverance that he will offer as he undergoes his own crucifixion and death. That it is in the sharing of his own body and his own blood that it is that death at the hands of the powers that be, that willingness to be nonviolent and peace-seeking even to the end, that willingness to live out God's love even in the face of injustice. It is that love that will deliver us and deliver all of his followers that it is in following in those ways of love and justice that we receive deliverance and freedom in our own lives. And so Jesus gave his disciples this ritual as a way to remember him, as a way to be together, as a way to hold each other together, even when things were going to get difficult for them in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. And it's a ritual that continues to speak to us now, that continues to meet us in our fear, in our times of need, to remind us of the deliverance and the love that we still experience in Jesus when we follow in his ways of love and peace and justice. A reading from Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. 
And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, Mother, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough. The hour has come. The human one is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. For me, the Garden of Gethsemane is the most poignant moment in the Passion story. Because it shows Jesus in his fullest humanity. Scared. Lonely distressed, anguished. That as he goes at night, he takes his friends with him. He wants his friends with them. But as we know, they fall asleep and he feels alone. And he goes and he prays with all his might, God, please take this cup from me. It shows that even Jesus was afraid. Even Jesus had moments when he was terrified, when he wasn't sure what the future would hold, when even he needed to get down on his knees and pray to say, not my will, but your will. Not my self-protection. Not my desire to, to have an escape route to get out. But help me, Abba. Help me, Father, Mother. Help me find my way forward. Help me reassure me that I will make it to the other side. There is a beauty in this moment because I think it shows that Jesus is in solidarity with all of us, any of us who have ever suffered, who have ever felt alone, who have felt distant, who have felt afraid, who have felt scared. That Jesus knows what that is like. And Jesus meets us in that place. And Jesus models how to pray for courage and strength, not my will, God, but yours. In other words, to say, help me, God, to continue to choose your ways of love and peace and justice when the easier road would be to check out, to go my own way, to just look after myself. I know right now there are so many of us that are scared. We're scared of the coronavirus. We're living in an unprecedented time when we realize how much little, how little control we have. We're scared for ourselves, we're scared for our loved ones, we're scared for what the future might hold. 
But what we can hear in this story is that we have a God who has experienced that, who knows that, who is with us. And just as Jesus sat on on the brink uh, of his crucifixion, as he he knew he had to know things were going to get worse before they got better, that he prayed for the courage and strength to make it through. And so we come today to God also to pray, to remember that God has shared in the suffering with us, but also to know that God will be with us and God that will help us to reorder our lives once this disorder is over, that God will help us find new life and new meaning once this suffering and this pain is over. And so we hold on to that hope today and remember that God will continue to be with us, whatever comes. Mm